0: All right, and welcome to the Dice of Screaming podcast. Ah! Oh, wow, that was a a really gruff one. Is that a bear in here? (laughs) Bring bears in here now? All right. Hey, we're the Dice of Screaming. I'm Randy. I'm Mike. And welcome. So, hey, we're starting our podcast off. Today, we're going to be covering Griffin Mountain from RuneQuest and also talking about Griffin Island and, you know...
1: How it affected the gaming
0: community, I think, is uh, a good intro to that.
1: Oh, oh Griffin Mountain.
0: Uh, Griffin Mountain, and then there was Griffin Island, which came later.
1: Yeah, these Chaosium products uh, from a uh, earlier, more civilized age oh, yes. of gaming.
0: A more elegant age.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they are... <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I, I lost it there, There's an
0: inside joke There's going an inside on. joke, you don't want to know no, just no. <laughs> We're just going to continue moving on
1: Well, moving you can on. expect nothing less silly from the dad joke of gaming podcasts Oh, the dad joke Yeah, I, which, actually uh, I had this other joke I Oh, had, yeah? I, I was going to lead with a joke about uh, clocks and failed orgasms but I don't feel like it's time has come Oh, wow <laughs> <laughs> really? All righty. I wrote that myself. But up, Bumps. Thank uh, you. Thank you. Uh,
0: That's right. He'll be here all week, folks. <laughs> That's Mike Hanna at the Dicer Screaming Lounge. Hey, Come and see him.
1: Remember to tip your weight, Staff. <laughs> they work hard for a living.
0: Yeah, there you go.
1: <laughs> no, but uh, Griffin Mountain, uh, launching right in. I mean, it is just a fantastic topic today. Okay, this this is a 1981... Chaosium release that at the dawn of the, the rising tide of gaming, uh, right there at the cusp, yeah, where you know we phased out of the 70s, the infancy period, and into the mainline production. And unlike a lot of other uh, items from that era, this was a campaign, multi-campaign size production, a 200-page extravaganza. Of material, yeah, in a that, box set, yes, yeah, singularly amazing for its time period, and I, well, I feel like showcasing that is a good use of our time today.
0: All right, well, uh, we're going to start off with the and what do the augury foretell for yes, our future podcast? The,
1: the casting of the augury includes uh, a traveler, March's adventure one, uh, high and dry. Uh, we've got birthright. And Al Kadim and Spelljammer settings coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Call of Cthulhu Haunting, uh, Appendix N Movie Night, uh, Call of Cthulhu Mansion of Madness. Yeah, we'll be covering for that. Stormbringer, Harn, and the topic of commodification in gaming. Yep. Uh, all lined up waiting to happen. So, yeah, we've got a lot loaded into the hopper here.
0: So. Yep, and we're taking them down one week at a time. Like kicking doors and taking gold from orcs.
1: Yeah, one
0: room at a time. (laughs) We're clearing them out.
1: (laughs) Knock them over like ten pins. All right. So what? Launching in?
0: Yeah, we'll just get right into it. Uh, Yeah. So Griffin Mountain. uh, I picked it up back in the day. I think it was about like '84. Uh, I went to my uncle's house in Illinois, and uh, for a couple weeks in the summer. And there was a garage sale, and there was a little set of Griffin Mountain. And so I'm like, well, hey, I'll pick that up, because I had the second edition rules. And, wow, was I bowled over. I mean, I was just literally like, all these maps, all this stuff that was in there. Just tons of information, and, yeah, and now it's available again in uh, print-on-demand. You can get it from uh, Drive RPG as a PDF, and you can also get it from the Johnstown uh, collective over at uh, Chaosium on their little site. It's right there through rpg and uh, you can also uh, get it printed on demand from Chaosium themselves. So they'll do it for
1: you. Yeah, this is uh, part of that golden age of gaming we're talking about. You know, the the rise of print on demand and drive through RPG, as we have mentioned in the past. Yeah, you know, this is another one of those benefits of change, because these classic materials are being re-released and you can get your hands on them without losing your shirt yeah now, it was I, running I about a second mortgage on the house but i, I got I, an original yeah i saw a couple hardback or uh, excuse
0: me softbacks on um ebay running for about 200
1: bucks yeah not easy to find these are you know because and the, the reason why
0: for that is because so many people treasure it now if he'd got it back in the day, which, you know, I would have got it more or less second-hand, but still, it was in the time that it came out. It is just loaded full, so uh, me and Mike have had a chance to look through it again, and i refreshed my memory on it as well. It's named nominally Griffin Mountain, but that's not what's really what it's about. And yeah. so it's by Rudy Kraft and uh, Janelle Jacquet and Greg Stafford. Uh, they were the real authors of it. And, you know, it really shows that these people, uh, Rudy Kraft and uh, Jeanneau, uh JK were really right there at the start of the, the scene. Of course, Greg Stafford. You know,
1: the, oh, well, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, Glorantha creator and like Chaosium uh,
0: alumni, yeah.
1: Alumni, you know, the, the, the mind behind the team. Uh, certainly a nod there. Oh, rest in peace, Greg. You yeah.
0: So it takes it away from Dragon Pass and the conflict of the Arlanti folk and the Lunar Empire and puts it kind of in a in an area like uh, Griffin Mountain where there is, of course, a different atmosphere. And it was meant to be a secondary area to explore that was taking it away from the political situations and Sartre.
1: Yeah, it was a much more convoluted campaign setting in some of the earlier releases. Uh, and Griffin Mountain becomes this visible departure from that kind of theme. Now, this is not to say that uh, local politics and things like that do not play a part. Uh, There's an enormous treasure trove of locations and individuals and tribes and groups and national differences outlined inside the Griffin Mountain release. Uh, But it's very much in the DM's hands to decide, you know, like, where are we going to go with this? Are we going to, like, go on the wilderness adventures? Are we going to build alliances and, you know, work in a political sense? Are we going to undertake mercantile interests and, like, pursue the gain of great wealth? Uh, Are we going to chase after rare and desirable magic items in the wilderness? Are we going to defeat legendary creatures? The choices are up to the players in the DM. But the Griffin Mountain book has all of the above, which, again, this is 1981 we're talking about, and I cannot emphasize enough how exceptional it was to have a book with this much detail and this many options. You didn't start seeing that level of creative autonomy handed to players and DMs uh, until... It really forgotten realms in Ed Greenwood and I, I honestly think you know like Ed Greenwood may have gotten some inspiration from releases like Griffin Mountain and seeded all of his writing with like hints and allegations and notions uh, so that the people who were reading it would then pick up and fill in the blanks on their own Griffin Mountain did that too but it did it in 1981
0: right and it so, when it came out just like with some of the supplements like cults of prax and the troll pack which uh, spoiler alert, we'll be doing covering troll pack yeah a that, little bit later for your hardcore request fans and you know you're getting your toe dipped in there troll pack can be one we can look at um it wasn't as tough as snake pipe hollow if, uh, for the uh Gloranta modules or adventures that were offered. The initial was uh, one of my favorites called, uh, it was in the third edition box set, which was called uh, The Money Tree. Ooh. I always liked that one. And uh, where literally you went to the money tree and you picked its uh, jewel like fruit and peeled its bark. <laughs>
1: oh, it was man. very,
0: you know, and of course there's always a guardian there. So yeah, figure it out. But. Um, <laughs> Apple Lane was another one. So if you're familiar with the uh, brawl at the Tin Inn, which was the introduction to combat. Oh. You know, yeah. So, you know, Apple Lane was uh, another one that uh, probably we may, may take a look at. I don't know. It depends on where we go with this one. But, yeah, Griffin Mountain was a completely different area. And to put that in there, there was a unique native folk there that you had to meet. Uh I think they were the old Yeah, from their great hero. From the Elkoi. The Elquoi, El- 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 yeah. The Elkoi. And uh, they factor very heavily. Um, they have several well-detailed forts. There's the Red Bear Tavern, which is a favorite of mine.
1: Oh, and always a good place to start any adventure. I, you know, right, still, I mean, uh, the, the, the first places... are very present in Griffin Mountain.
0: And from there, you start picking up rumors. Now, if the players want to... The thing is, is that it's really one of the first campaigns to intrinsically put the sandbox out in front. And some people can point and say the Wilderness Campaign. And I I also would agree with you that, yes, the Wilderness Campaign is another big sandbox. But this one, rather than just some random encounters or just uh, encounters on a map, this one was... Each one is seeded with a potential plot hook and is developed enough so that you can improvise or change it and you know that's the big allure of these early adventures was they were there was no template to go really to follow on there were people the people looked at each other's work as Mike was talking about with Ed Greenwood and they would take ideas and inspiration from one another and they'd build upon it and we got better and better products now today the standard Griffin Mountain is still shows pretty high. If you were to put this in somebody's hands and say, hey, "Here's a campaign for RuneQuest," they would be pretty well suited for months, if not years, of campaign play. Oh my and goodness! And it can yeah. be reused for a number of things. I mean, if you just need to, I remember using the charts for the brew quite a bit in there. i just would roll a die and pick one, the number of brew I wanted to use out of it.
1: Strange brew. They always Here are. It's inside?
0: Yep, the brew, not the drink, the uh, creature. And <laughs> so, there's a lot of things to cover in Gryphon Mountains. So, rather than do a point-by-point dissection, the first part pretty much introduces you to the new place, the Wilds of Balazar. And there's it's linked intrinsically by caravans making their way through the difficult wilderness. So, obviously, these caravaneers will want adventurers or hired swords to come along.
1: Yeah, having a handful of cell swords uh, on the road with you greatly increases your chance of survival. So, I mean, you've got that kind of automatic in for why are they here? Why would they bother to travel through here? What could possibly bring people together? Very easily, uh, the caravan routes make a very worthwhile explanation for why the players might be traveling together.
0: Right, and the way to seed it in, and this is just one approach is if you take the caravan route, you would be able to play out almost every day in RuneQuest as a travel, journey, and encounter where you would have different hardships come along. Sort of like Rawhide without guns. (laughs) But nonetheless, as you're traveling, you will learn more about the area and have opportunities to adventure. And, you know, there are many villains in here, and... Two of the most prominent ones, I'm not going to mention them because they depend on subtlety to be played, are very uh, intrinsic to how to gaining the party's trust. And so while the party would, or normally a group of players will be willing to trust an NPC to a certain extent, these are ones that they may find themselves trusting a little too much.
1: Yeah, not everything in the or not everyone you meet in the Griffin Mountain campaign set is your friend, and not every creature or person that is not your friend will present themselves in an obvious fashion. <laughs>
0: yeah, and and also the, one of the things is that not everything is an enemy. There, are...
1: oh God, no, no. In fact, a lot of the situations, true to RuneQuest's form, uh, how you deal with a situation can have a enormous impact on the outcome, okay? That uh, those who could go either way, it could be a hostile relationship, could be very adversarial, or it could be a brief beneficial relationship uh, or total disinterested. There's so much of a non-traditional, not exactly governed by you know, like good and evil areas of gray Situations uh, peppered throughout Gr- Griffin Mountain, in particular.
0: Yeah, several of the NPCs that uh, are the uh, intrinsically trying to uh, would do the party harm. Let's just say to befriend them. Follow the token esque point of view uh, from Proto is that they would feel fair. They would appear fairer and look foul, feel fouler. Yeah, and that's a good axiom to keep with these characters. And also some of the allies you would seek play them the other way around. Yeah,
1: they're, they're not that nice. You know, they, they may be dependable allies in the end. But it's going to be discomforting or difficult to win any kind of grudging uh, camaraderie from them. Uh, they're not easy marks. You're like, hey, you seem nice. Let's totally do this. You know, no, you're going to have to earn trust uh, for the people worth working with. Or influential enough to, to really be of significance uh, in a campaign setting.
0: And when you look at uh, the reviews from the time, let's see here. I uh, say see, uh, Bill Fawcett from Dragon, issue 58 during that time. Everybody was really impressed with the amount of material in all these reviews, so I guess probably just saying that would do it for everybody. But
1: Well, there were not a lot of supplements that were 200 pages in scope. Uh, there were a lot of like campaign uh, say uh like the actual rule books and things like that you tended to see uh like uh edition rule sets would come out and those would be substantive books whereas supplements and modules uh, those tended to be far far smaller circa 1981 Uh, to have a 200 page supplement
0: Yeah, packed with adventure. And that's not...
1: Mr. Fawcett was correct to be impressed. Uh, Having looked at it myself, I'm like, dang, what a pile of work.
0: Yeah, he says uh, something here that I want to touch on, though, is that you may not be able to resist this offering if you're new to RuneQuest. It may prove a bit much for your character. But the background alone will make for interesting reading. And that's where I think that this may have missed its mark in the review because if you just buy this to read as a new player... Wow, you're really squandering half the potential of this. As Whereas a DM, it's a lot to chew off, but boy, you learn a lot. This is literally, this is taking you to task. You're going to a master class of how to run a wilderness campaign in an era of which, before we use the terms sandbox, here it is. You're literally in the middle of it.
1: Yeah, oh, you are dropped. Right, oh, we have an angry puppy.
0: Yes, we have an angry puppy. So, hey, we'll uh, continue with this in just a moment. All right, and we're back after much puppy interference.
1: (laughs) This freak bought to you by Onyx, the awesome dog. Yes. Oh, puppy-powered cheer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But when we're talking about the impact of Griffin Mountain, it was felt throughout the gaming industry, and a lot of people took great notice of how this product was presented and it raised the standards. And not only did you have num- numerous adventure hooks and locations, but the campaign itself, from the designer's note that was included in the uh, new release here, which uh, I think was it was fully released by Moon Press back in 2016, and then it uh, was given its full brothers with a PD uh, print-on-demand version. oh we are being Rowdied up by a puppy. So her up right here and put her on air. Hey,
1: so there you go.
0: Yes, with uh Chasium's work, it kinda grew. It was uh, initially named just Grimpen Mountain, supposed to be given some areas of wilderness to explore and they kept coming up with more and more details and so it grew.
1: Yeah, it was an accidental process, okay? The staff at Griffin Mountain, or sorry, the staff at uh, Chaosium initially envisioned something more like what we described as the traditional supplement, Uh, a specific set of adventures with some background characters and NPCs, uh, some likely plots, just a few things. Now, it rapidly began to expand as they, they filled out area after area. Uh, and as it passed around the Chaosium crew at the time, especially, you know, Rudy Kraft and uh, Janelle Jacquez, uh it began to expand way beyond the scope of their original concept. Uh, and unlike most places, which I think would have taken a stance favoring returning to a, like, okay, cut most of this material out and save it for a later, uh, product. That's a perfectly reasonable thing to have done. I mean, when you're dealing with 200 pages of material, it would not be unreasonable to expect them to say, okay, this goes on the cutting room floor, we'll make a totally separate publication for that. Chaosium did not do that. Instead, they let the Griffin Mountain Supplement expand into a mega wilderness campaign with you know multiple facets and possibilities Uh, and i I gotta hand it to the the chaosium staff at the time Uh, mr stafford was you know a much lighter hand than you know people who and i i don't want this to sound condemning of a lot of the other people working in gaming Uh, but you had mindsets that were firmly fixed in the practical and the like financially uh, benevolent the the idea that like we're running a business here we're making money you know we've got to plan the things we release in accordance with how we can maximize our profits this was not done quite like that this was done with a much more hey how much stuff that we love creating can we jam-pack into this supplement Uh, And that's a commendable attitude. It's something to be remembered in this era and to be encouraged so that gaming companies today take a cue from what worked so incredibly well in the past. We would not be discussing Griffin Mountain at all if it hadn't been a singularly exceptional piece of work by some really amazing people.
0: Yeah, and to talk about some of the amazing stuff, um, the Wind Sword that is the titular part of Gryphon Mountain itself, or what the ultimate quest is.
1: Yeah, spoiler alert, uh, you know, this is the, the core mission that like kind of started the Gryphon Mountain concept.
0: Yeah, it's a very powerful enchanted blade, and it's not easily gotten because to do it, you have to kind of kill the griffins or befriend them or do favors for them, and that is a unique way of challenging rather than just presenting like, hey, there's a plus three sword in this nest of griffins, go kill them, and the sword's yours. No, there's other people who are also out for
1: it. Yeah, in this case, uh, griffins are quite intelligent uh, in Glorantha, and can be negotiated with uh, they're not you know they're they're not welcoming to people coming into their caves, but they can be bargained with so it really hands it off to the players. I mean, are you going to uh, try to creep in and find it and steal it, or are you going to negotiate for it or are you going to do straight up battle for it? Everything is on the table
0: yeah, and one of the characters that's uh, a caravanner. A tradesman there with a large, well-organized group of bodyguards. John Mellon, and the Sari's tradesman, and, and uh, working on becoming a rune lord himself of the god of trade and communication, it is well detailed and provides one of those moments where you can spend your entire campaign just wandering around with a major NPC who takes care of most of the trading and wheeling and dealing for your characters, allowing them to do what most adventurers love to do, which is explore nasty dark holes full of vicious monsters and emerge with their treasures. And scattered through here is also the history of the place. The Balazar and the Aloki people are very deeply set he- settled here, and their precursors, the people who brought them to this land, have many legends, and have seeded the place with their own deeds and mythic history, which adds a lot to the rune quest itself. So using this in a rune quest campaign is pretty easy, but another thing using it for is highlighting the example of how myth and legend blend together to make a unique history of the land that brings a sense of its own into the fore, and making your characters discover that piece by piece, adds a lot of authenticity to the depth, which I think Mike was talking about with the Ed Greenwood effect. Yeah. Where we spoke about that, you know, here's a whole bunch of areas that are already detailed in encounters. But there's also plenty of places for you to add or ignore if they don't fit your campaign
1: idea. Yeah, plenty of room to do some creative editing and to encourage DMs to not just be a passive participant, okay? Uh, The idea of the Game Master or, uh, you know, Dungeon Master being very much an active part of the creative process. like Even after the finished product is done and on shelves, the role of the uh, Dungeon Master as a fellow creative and editor is not over. And encouraging that, I think, is terrific. I'm very in favor of that. I, I'm not saying they should just ha- like hand out unfinished material all the time. Hey, here's a thing of nothing but unfinished material. <laughs> no, we didn't even you know, like proofread the type. No, that, that's not where I'm going. But I am saying that uh, fostering and encouraging other people's creativity is just one of the best facets of classic gaming and totally deserves to be... <laughs> you know, dragged kicking and screaming into modern gaming as often as possible because it it helps. (laughs) It's uh, fluoride for gamers. It helps build strong bones and teeth, you know, uh, uh, calcium, you know, drink more milk. Hey, you know, work with more supplements that foster your own creativity. It makes for... It, it is the practice ground that every DM should make use of at some point or another. Oh, oh my God. Oh. Vocal
0: dog who wants more peanut butter. All right. Well, <laughs> what I'd like to take here is just an excerpt from The Citadel of Dyking, which is they give you not only just the history of the place, but they also give you quite a bit of lore going right in. They talk about how the guards <laughs> clank and jangle and all carry... Metal weapons. They are sharp and professional and impersonal in a bureaucratic way. And also open to some bribery. And each place, now pretty much standard, comes out with persons of importance like King, skillful heart, piece, heart piercer, an older heroic man, now old and besotted.
1: Ah, oh, heart piercer. Man, he earned that name. You can just tell that that's, that's somebody who, you know, they were pretty pretty cool back in their day.
0: Yep, and the leader of the guard, Badoni hmm. Boldface. And, of course, the Stabbing Cat Lodging House and Tavern. Hmm. Which is a good place for all sorts of mischief to get started. Because Diking is just one of the many places you can find, but it's one of the outer settlements. And it's a little wilder. And also lends itself a little bit more to a roguery. Yeah, just like that.
1: Yeah, I, I, we're putting up with a lot of roguery today.
0: Yep, we got a rogue. Rogue puppy. Rogue puppy running about. So another uh, idea is each place also has a number of scenarios, which you can join the guard, you can go on patrols and find and meet new people and kill them. <laughs>
1: I, I want to pause for just one moment, if you'll forgive me. Sure, go right ahead. Huh? Okay, there's a facet of RuneQuest here that is particularly visible to me in the Griffin Mountain supplement uh, that we may not have actually discussed during previous uh, podcasts that covered RuneQuest materials. And I, I, I'm talking about Ransom. Now, those who have played RuneQuest before will know what we're speaking of, but for the non-RuneQuest player uh ransom is kind of the value that every player and NPC has, uh, should they be captured. And it is a facet of RuneQuest gameplay that is, I, I think, uh often forgotten, and it parallels bronze, iron, and medieval age tradition, which is uh defeated combatants were not always just slain, okay, or, or you know, even Sometimes when there's no chance of winning, surrender was just an option. Like, okay, there's no way out of this. Uh, I've been completely surrounded by, you know, uh, Sir Steve and his evil cohort. Uh, I surrender. And far from the, you know, popular conception of like, oh, well, then they immediately trample you with their horses and (laughs) mount your head on a pike and dance around and uh, do the mocking jig. No. No. Uh, they go, aha, we have a captive. Uh, One thousand pieces of gold for your safe return. As soon as uh, your sworn lord uh, produces this, we shall release you back into his custody. That was extremely normal historically. And RuneQuest, unlike a lot of other games, incorporated ransom into everyday existence in Lorantha, And almost every NPC listed Uh, has a ransom value. Yep.
0: And mostly since uh, Glorantha uses the silver standard. I I
1: don't recommend uh, capturing all the NPCs for ransom unless you're running an evil character campaign in Glorantha. And uh, rest assured, there are many heroic folk who will then assume you to be villains and will come after you as well. (laughs) So, uh, however, that said, there are circumstances that will crop up where either the players... Or an NPC might be captured, and maybe they they did not get along well with the players, but there's greater value in keeping them alive and returning them to where they belong than there is in just murder hoboing. So this is, I mean, it's it's a worthy facet of the game uh, that Griffin Mountain makes really visible. Uh, So many opportunities for different styles of play and different concepts.
0: Yeah, and getting back to the reviews, a lot of uh, from White Dwarf comes it was an exemplary piece of work. It was high praise indeed from the friends across the pond in those days, when they There's a reason why early the British tea, uh, bre- excuse me, British breakfast of gaming was Traveller, Paranoia, RuneQuest, <laughs> and D and D. I mean, they really. <laughs> they really loved the, a lot of the concepts and you know there's a lot that shows from not only early white dwarf but later works like warhammer fantasy roleplay where they basically had a love letter lit, written not only to D&D, but using mostly the RuneQuest quest system and you see that when they gave it high praise it's no mystery that a lot of the folks that liked the early Chaosium rune quest supplements over in Britain really cleave to the idea of the pre-Celtic pre-Roman eras of wild Britain really loomed large in imagination of gamers back then. I mean, Britain itself is littered with so much history itself that as Americans, we really, you know, what do we got? We got a park with a couple of civil war heroes around here.
1: Yeah. You know, we, we don't have a, you know, for a country made up of people who arrived here, uh, almost, all in only the last 300 years. It was one of the things I noticed uh, while in England uh, was the time disparity uh, between you know things that were considered historic. Uh, you know, at, at at home here in Michigan, uh, you go up to Fort Mitchell Mackinac, and you can see stuff from you know, like the 1800s uh, that was extremely relevant to the French and Indian War uh, and the control of. You know, like choke points for trade and travel. Okay, super cool and way into that. However, while walking through the financial district of London, touring, I stumbled upon an active archaeological dig of Roman ruins. So yeah, you you know, (laughs) you
0: even took a picture of the green what some of the Green Man murals and frescoes that you found.
1: Yeah, frescoes on the stonework of of the Green Man, and they popped up all over the city. I'm not exactly sure what the story there is, but I kept finding the, the same, you know, like Hearn the Hunted or, you know, Sarnunos or uh, whatever incarnation of the Green Man uh, lurking in stonework all around the city. And I was just so impressed that, wow, you know, we're, we're talking about things that span more than just a couple of centuries, but, you know, something more on the order of, you know, 2,000 to 3,000 years worth of history. uh occupying the human imagination and then having themselves expressed in you know stonework in a fully modernized city. Uh, we just do not have that. So I, I, I gotta say it's obvious that RuneQuest made an effort to incorporate, you know, Greg Stafford made a terrific effort to incorporate a lot of traditional concepts that uh, dominated the Iron Age in uh, the Bronze Age and the Iron Age in Europe.
0: Yeah, and when you talk about the caravan, excuse me, it's John Myth. And uh, John Myth's Merchant Caravan is well detailed. As excuse me, he is uh, he travels with a Rune Lord. Ho, ho, ho. He's a Rune Priest himself, which is in request. That's somebody who's went on several hero quests and rune quests of themselves and been judged worthy.
1: Yeah, they have mastered uh, certain ancient magics by virtue of their heroic deeds and explorations. So, uh, you know, rune magic is, is quite, the, quite the trophy status.
0: Yeah, in- yeah, and it's where your players eventually want to go. Oh my goodness, this puppy. Hey, we apologize to everybody in the background. Uh, yeah, we're puppies.
1: <laughs> we are having uh, puppy technical issues. Yeah, we're experiencing currently experiencing puppy
0: technical issues. Please stand
1: by. <laughs> Self-restraint is not in the nature of puppies, uh, yeah. so we, we forgive. Uh, but Onyx is a sweetheart, we assure you. Uh, just at this moment, she is... Finally, after weeks of relatively calm behavior, has decided, I want to participate
0: in the podcast. Yeah, we're sitting here having a talk, and she's like, I want to be everywhere at once, and I can't. <laughs> so, yep. But uh, anyway, when we talk about uh, a lot of the central characters, you get a flavor of not only that character, but each place that you travel has a different essence. As I talked about, Daikin is different from elikai is it's so different in the uh, approaches that it really gives you the nature of how each area has developed. So there's a different feel, so players can base themselves where they feel most comfortable. And in verse of what Mike was talking about with the sandbox campaign, what Griffin Mountain does, probably better than most other supplements that were open-ended, like the Great Wilderness Campaign from Judges Guild.
1: Oh, yeah. Yes.
0: That this one provides not only an impetus, but also puts the drive really in the player's hands to figure out for themselves what it is that they want out of this. And much like Mike was saying that making the Dungeon Master or Referee or whatever you want to call him a part of the central cast and and essence of gameplay, players really have a lot more control than they do in other places because there's no set path. And for a lot of people, that freedom... Is exhilarating, and it was hard to go back to certain more railroad or scripted events. And if you can, if you think I'm poo pooing those? No, I'm not. I'm not in any way disparaging them because obviously sometimes you need structure. Players sh- sometimes are a little bit more passive. There's this strange passive aggressive confluence and interaction between pl- the dungeon master and their players because many players just come to the table, they want an adventure, what is in front of them, and they'll take it. And a lot of times, the Dungeon Master is left with a difficult task of judging what it is the players want. And in this one, they really have to put it forward. Now, first, some detractions of it, of RuneQuest, people will say, well, I don't want to play RuneQuest because there's ducks in there. Well, this is something when I was talking to Mike earlier. Yeah. So ducks. They're a thing, and I actually think if you look at how they've been integrated, they're more than just a joke content. Um, They're part of the lore of the world. They're uh, beastmen, not in the same way that Brew or Scorpion Folk are, but they are a beastman like a centaur or a satyr. They, uh, less than being hybrid, they are small sentient feathered guys who don't just chew on cigars or have a bad attitude <laughs> no. they have a purpose in their world and they're undead fighters yeah they this spend... is not
1: just a Howard the Duck knockoff right okay? this, they have a purpose in a place despite my opposition to them
0: but when you look at the great scope of the seriousness of these events and these supplements you start to understand that sometimes you need a little bit of humor and I think you said it was a, a weight event a little bit
1: Yeah, it was a way to release some of the steam, okay? The pressure builds up. When you have a fantastic campaign setting that is, in many respects, uh, as close as an RPG has, you know, dared to come to uh, Iron Age culture. And... uh, It, frankly... The element of the fantastic uh, that is so familiar in the majority of role-playing and in science fiction games. Uh, An element of the fantastic is usually more present. Okay. RuneQuest, I'm not saying that it lacks for the fantastic, but most of the fantastic things uh, require uh, either a bit of subtlety uh, in early forms of magic, or they take a considerable amount of time... Before the really fantastic things are unlocked with rune magic. Uh, whereas ducks seemed to represent this everyday thing that is, in fact, you know, very out of character with the rest of the setting. Uh, and I kind of respect the desire to include uh, something uh, attainable, something very close at hand that was you know, just bizarre, you know, just, hey, we're not going to be, like, it's, welcome to ancient Britain, the role-playing game, you know, welcome to Pendragon. You know, okay, um, doing a knockoff like that, I don't think would have been as successful. Uh, and instead, RuneQuest just embraced, like, okay, there's going to be weirdness, there's going to be wildness, you're getting it all. I'm going to make some weird shit, you better be ready. Yeah, and so yeah, yeah on the cover be, there, it has every-
0: a jack o' bear attacking a warrior, and it's using its befuddle spell. Uh, very colorfully, but anyway, a lot of people are like, well, it's a pumpkin-headed bear. Well, right in the right in the uh, first books of Dungeons and Dragons, there's a what appears to be a jack o' bear, and I think that. Uh, they're codivergent, but I don't think the guys at RuneQuest were completely oblivious to the first uh, booklets that were published either. And, yeah, there's a little bit of whimsy, but, again, you know, like, what is a jackal bear It's a bear with a jack-o'-lantern head? Yeah, it's a corruption of an earth spirit.
1: Yeah, uh, and basically, you know, yeah.
0: A plant, it's a, it's a sentient plant with a malevolent attitude that is a chaotic amalgamation of both brutality and cunning.
1: Yeah, emerging uh, with that horrific face that, you know, you would, we would find on a jack-o'-lantern uh, under more typical, you know, harvest celebrations. But here's a nature spirit that is 100% anger. <laughs> it's an anger elemental. Yeah, and it's got a lot of magic. And so they can be
0: ferocious and also in hand in combat as well as in magic. So...
1: Yeah, they embrace the extremely out there alongside the... And it's unfamiliar to your
0: token, to a lot of things in here. Like the Dark Trolls you meet are kind of... I always use this allegory, but maybe it's not the correct one. But I'm going to stick with it. I use them like Klingons. They can sometimes... They're most of the time going to be antagonistic and aggressive. But with a little bit of patience or understanding, they can be made into allies or at least dealt with.
1: Yeah, it does not have to end in hostility. Like so many things in RuneQuest, you got options. And I am a big fan of any game scenario where the options are placed there for you, as opposed to the old Bigfoot tradition, which is, you know, like, it's a brick wall. Stab or die.
0: What's your call? You know, oh. Yeah, well, Bruin, Scorpion Poke and Tusk Raiders are going to mostly attack you almost every time.
1: Now, I I do want to... Uh, pause oh, for ahead. another moment. This is an item I wanted to mention. Uh, you know, in the examination of it without giving too much away, uh, which I, I feel like we've threaded the needle pretty well. Yeah, actually.
0: we gave away one of the minor ports, and just as a uh, that it has King Heartseeker. Yeah, the Citadel. Heartpiercer, I'm king. sorry.
1: Uh, but I, I wanted to mention Chapter 7, the Encounters List, uh, because they do something here that I consider very, very thoughtful. Uh, They refer throughout the various other chapters describing locations and persons. They refer to the encounters uh, that might happen. Now, there are certain encounter encounters that are you know often reoccurring. Uh, Local flora and fauna that the players will encounter many many times. Uh, And they are told to refer then to the encounters chapter when it is time for the players to encounter or have combat or interaction with that encounter. And that could be wandering groups of brew, uh, warriors from various citadels, uh, dragon newts, elasmosaurus, elves, giants, dwarves, griffins, succubi, trolls, a walktopus, as opposed to an octopus. And it's bad news. It is. Eight more legs, you know, six extra legs to screw with you. Uh, (laughs) Now, uh, but the point is some of these are very routine natural creatures, uh, and you will use that encounter table again and again, varying only the numbers. So if you're wandering in the wilderness, uh, you know, during a year-long campaign, you may encounter bears seven or eight different times, uh, and it could go well or poorly depending on number of bears and general attitude, morale, things like that, uh, you know, you could have positive uh, meetings with dwarves and elves, or giants, or you could have terrible meetings with dwarves, elves, or giants. Uh, but they have set it up so that wherever this is dis- you know, described in the campaign setting materials based on location, you can simply refer to the appropriate encounter page later and draw the stats and the quantity of creatures. Uh, over and over again, and thereby, you know, have really swift... You know, you can add your own content and things like that, but a lot of the work has been done for you.
0: Right, and so each area also changes the dynamic of the encounter. And some of the areas, like in the Iron Hills, where the dwarves are encountered, these are iron dwarves, they're very jealous. They think, what are you doing here? And where you encounter them in just on the plains, they may be on a mission. So you check there. And the elves... Uh, they're all plant—they're living plant creatures, kind of think like dryads with bows. But yeah,
1: yeah, I, you know, very
0: their bows are living in in RuneQuest is one of the things that's always made me interesting. That each elf warrior is bonded to their weapon. It's a living
1: dude. I grew a bow.
0: Yeah, that's right. They could be uh, fur elves, and I mean like in fur trees, like pine. And, uh, versus oh, yes. deciduous. And again, where you encounter them, if you encounter them in a pine forest, they could tell you that we don't want you here. You are not welcome here. We are the elder race. You, this is not for you. This place is sacred to us. It is not for you. And so then you might have an item from another place that you could present to them. And this opens a whole new chapter. It's really very modular and fits together in a way that on first glance you wouldn't normally think like oh here's some encounter tables and he, but yet in those texts are ways to seed each place they're encountered has a different effect on the players rather than just a bunch of nameless stats that you recycle.
1: Yeah knowing the campaign setting well and you know, like knowing the the ways in which you should deploy them depending on region and like type of, of oh, well, climb yeah you know, uh, really means that these encounters may superficially look incredibly similar, uh, and yet they're actually going to be in so so very different from encounter to encounter, depending on how far your your characters travel and range. Uh, I cannot say enough good things about that. Yeah, and now, what
0: are some of the other criticisms that come, like
1: it's a lot of these places you just get jobs.
0: Wait a minute. Have you not read the Robert E. Howard Conan saga? What was Conan doing half the time?
1: Yeah, either using up all the money that he got from his last job or or looking for another job.
0: You are getting fired from being captain of the guard or (laughs) a member of a mercenary who had a disagreement with someone else inside the company.
1: You can't just sleep with the pasha's wife.
0: (laughs) Well, watch me. And uh, getting back to the ducks thing, if you really sore about ducks in RuneQuest... Here's what you do. There are none in here. That is another thing. There are no...
1: We've uh, had to do that compromise because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm guilty. of. I've got snake hate for ducks yeah. a lot of times. Uh, I, I love the serious aspects of uh, Bronze Iron Age role play and mythology. Uh, and it just really appeals to me. Then, like, a duck shows up and throws me off.
0: Well, I, then we're going to have to cover Rattling Wind. That is a very good examination or how to properly use ducks in that setting. Which I may, we may cover in a future episode. A little bit farther in the future. But yeah, uh, Griffin Mountain made a big impression and it's worth picking up even if you're not playing Ring Quest just to look at. I think you'll be impressed with the depth and coherence of the setting. I also think that the Blessed Blade of the Windseeker, Fury, Blessed Blade of the Windseeker, Owes a lot to this sword in here of almost the same name. So
1: yeah, uh, not uh, likely not coincidence. Okay, this the the influence that this had on future releases and the the idea that people had of what a good uh, large scale campaign level supplement should be cannot be underestimated. This this had one of those discreet hidden impacts like. You know, (laughs) Uh, where where a meteor strikes a long, long time ago, and nobody realizes that, like, that is why they're in a valley-shaped depression that goes a thousand miles in every direction. You you can't see the forest through the trees, you know. Where do you think that meteor hit? Yeah, we're standing in a thousand miles of it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so if you get a chance... Uh, download your copy of the pdf of nothing else or you know get the print on demand if you're a RuneQuest quest player or fan you'll definitely appreciate it and it's well worth looking into now i think we've uh walked that through but i, I suddenly feel a strange sensation it's like oh oh no oh man the arcane oh eye oh
1: my god it's full of stars
0: The Arcane Eye has settled its inscrutable gaze upon (laughs) you, and now you are here, trapped within... I want to go. ...the inscrutable gaze of the Arcane Eye. And what has it revealed? What does it discern for us?
1: Well, today, the Arcane Eye has fallen upon the No Tears Podcast. Oh, yeah. And we're going to give an extra kudo, because straight up, hello Michiganders...
0: Yep, up in Grand Rapids. Yeah. The Rapids of the Grand.
1: Now, tell us of the No Tears podcast.
0: Oh, well, it's four guys that talk about a variety of topics. Most of it gaming, but sometimes sports and popular culture and TV.
1: Oh, my God. We have to get two more guys.
0: Yeah, I know. It's like this podcast, like, times awesome. Yeah, i just,
1: you know, at twice as many gamers. It's,
0: it's two to the power of two. Yeah, so... If you're out there looking for a new podcast to listen to, go and find them, and they are at the No Cheers Podcast, which if you get the reference, 10 points. <laughs> <laughs> but here, in the gaze of the arcane eye, you are held until you make your saving throw, and once again... I am would...
1: affixed. I am affixed. I, I cannot... I cannot...
0: Ah, but it eyes. dispels its gaze, and once again, we return to reality. <sighs> And, yeah, so, I don't know what just happened there, but whatever it was, it was pretty cool, I think. I don't remember much, but...
1: I blocked it all out. (laughs) Still traumatized.
0: But, yeah, we uh, hope you enjoyed our little uh, rant and gush about Griffin Mountain. We tried to cover some of the criticisms. There's not a whole lot you can say bad about it. I mean, either RuneQuest is your thing, or if you're really anti-RuneQuest, well... Oh,
1: yeah, look, I mean, if RuneQuest is not your style... Totally understandable. Uh, but I, I will say that from a DMing and creative perspective, this is still a valuable piece of work in, that can be harvested for core concepts. Yep. As I so often say, I, I know I say it about a lot of different things, but uh, there's so much here to make use of that campaign specific is not an issue. Uh, a great many of the ideas in here can be plucked uh, from a PDF and translated into another setting very easily
0: yeah and getting back to one of the reviews where the uh, the reviewer said that you this shouldn't be if this is your first number in quest this shouldn't be your thing i disagree i think gridford mountain is a great place to start because you don't have to learn all the lore of glorantha especially in dragon patch pass which is a huge lore sink that takes a yeah. lot to get into and of course you know with that we can start on that later but uh I think that in any case you do it, Griffin Mountains is a good starting place for just about any veteran or newbie alike. So,
1: again, well worth your time and investment. Uh, And I I think the other criticism that would be entirely fair is it's a lot to, yeah, it's a lot to get a bite on. You know, yeah, you you just can't jump into this one. uh, You just can't
0: read a few uh, pages and just say, okay, I think I understand this.
1: Yeah, this is not in search of the unknown. Um, you know, this is uh, this is not uh, uh, a intro level, uh, so you know some experience required. So we should throw in that uh, caveat. But that's well, about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, beyond that, you know, you've got a fine piece of work that has stood the ages, and we're very happy that Chaosium has done this re-release uh, because this was an item that did, truly deserved it. That people should not be left hunting for. A tiny handful of leftover copies uh, at just crazy prices. And this has put a terrific supplement back in people's hands. So, A1. Way to go, guys. All right. Well, hey, and uh, if
0: you enjoyed the podcast, make sure you give us a... Take that favorite button, walk it slowly out to the parking lot, let it down gently, and tell them that you just spent the last money out of their bank account. (laughs) And hit it for uh, a follow so you can get notifications to when we put out new episodes. And, of course, keep up to date on our vast 200 previous episodes. So, in the meantime, I think we have walked this one fully in circle and come to the beginning. So, we shall bid you all adieu and thank you once again for listening and we'll catch you later. In the meantime, may the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.